Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The dream is made real. Ricky Hatton rocks the world. How do you like it? How do you like it? I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over. Mamma mia. He's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. Uh, let's get ready to rumble. Welcome back. Fight fans to another episode of BTR Boxing Podcast. I'm your host, John Basto, joined by my compatriot and podcasting host, Johnston Brown. Great weekend for boxing, Johnston. We were looking forward to one particular fight. It's caused uh, a lot of controversy for various different reasons, and it was Canelo and Billy Joe Saunders. And obviously, by now, everybody knows the result. Everybody knows Canelo got the victory by a retirement from Billy Joe's corner at the end of the eighth round. And we're here to break this down and discuss the fight and discuss how we think it went, what happened in the aftermath of the retirement in the corner, uh, what social media has been talking about over the past few days, the the extent, of course, of Billy Joe's injuries as well. You know, that's something quite significant to talk about and how that's going to impact him in the future. So first and foremost, Johnson, coming to you, what did you think about the fight? Oh, I really enjoyed it. Um I've done the uh, usual, have a little sleep and then wake up to it. I just about managed to drag myself up. I, I was tempted to leave it and then and then sort of watch it later on on a replay. But I was eager to really see. I like these big fights. I love to see them live. So um, I, I'm not like I, as young as I used to. I'm not no spring chicken anymore. So I definitely couldn't stay up until four or five in the morning and then watch it. But good fight. Look, the fight was, it, I enjoyed it. I, you know, considering I was half a kip, it woke me up. And it got me into the fight because I, I was quite pleased with how Billy was performing. I thought Canelo, the first couple of rounds were weren't really nothing really much to happen. I mean, Billy used his used his footwork well, threw off some jabs, but I was impressed with how he was standing there uh, and not necessarily on the run all the time. Um, Canelo closed the gap at times, but it was a couple of rounds in particular I thought Billy was pretty. Awesome. Uh, the fifth round, the sixth round, I thought, 
I think it was a sixth. It was either the fourth, fifth or sixth. It was one or two of those rounds. One in particular where Billy was moving excellently to the side, shifting away. Canelo was struggling to deal with that southpaw stance. But yet, well, it ended how it ended. At one point, it looked like Billy was on top. And then that round changed everything when he got caught with that uppercut and, and effectively ended the fight. But I was impressed with Billy. And for me, I had Billy up. I don't know how you felt, Sean. I thought Billy was just slightly in the lead. I don't think Canelo did enough to win certain rounds. But as we already said, we always knew that he was going to be up on the cards. And I think that was evident in the scorecards that were produced at the end of that fight. Well, for me, I felt like it was a good performance to a degree from Billy Joe Saunders. I felt like there was rounds that you mentioned there where he did seem to put his foot on the gas a little bit. There was The best shot from Billy Joe Saunders was the one where it was a short right hand. Uh, I think it was a short right or a short left hand on the inside and he sort of followed through and it looked like his elbow had followed through after it, you know, like a, um, <laughs> a bit of gypsy come through. Yeah, yeah. Throwing his elbow in at the same time. I mean, he landed some good shots as, as the rounds progressed. But for me, Canelo did exactly what we expected him to do, which was to, he started off pretty slow. He, he had the variety of shots, selecting from head to body. And as the rounds went on, he seemed to step it up each round. And he seemed to, it was like he was obviously figuring the puzzle out of what Billy Joe had brought to the table. And it was only a matter of time before he was going to catch up with him. And eventually, as the rounds went on, he did start to catch up with him. And, you know, eventually that shot that landed, that uppercut, which he was throwing, I think, for the previous two rounds and, and was very close. I think he did land the uppercut uh, the round before the eighth round, the seventh. And the one that actually landed was one where Billy Joe had obviously threw a shot. He'd, he'd missed the shot. And obviously it left him open. And the uppercut was there. And it was just a nice little... It was like a trap that Canelo had set. The way I saw it was like Canelo had waited and hated Billy Joe in, waited for him to throw the shot. The shot missed. Canelo took the opportunity. As Billy Joe was trying to get out of the way, it's landed really flush at the side of his face on the cheek and on the eye. And at that point, we didn't know what the damage was. And obviously, Billy Joe backed up. And to be fair to him, he took it like an absolute trooper. Uh, a lot of people might yep. have gone from that shot. And he, he didn't. He took it. And, and he survived the round to get to the corner. And you can see in the corner, his eyes his eyes puffed up. And the damage doesn't look as bad at first. And I think that's why, you know, all the stuff that people have been talking about on social media was so evident in the immediate aftermath after the fight had happened, because it does look like it's just a bit of a, you know, a bit of a puffed eye. And it's like, oh, hang on a minute. Why is he retiring on his school? Why, why is the corner pulling him out? You know, we, again, we had the same issue with Daniel Dubai. We didn't know the severity of, of what that damage, what that punch had caused in terms of the damage. So when you see that happen and you see the fights over, automatically you're thinking, has he, has he just decided to throw in the towel here? What, what's happening? You know, you don't know. And then you, you start to hear rumours of his corner pulling him out. That was obviously later confirmed by Mark Tibbs in an interview afterwards. He pulled him out. He goes to the hospital. Obviously, an hour or so later, it gets confirmed that he has fractured his orbital bone and he's fractured his cheek in three different places. Uh, and even Canelo came out afterwards and said, as soon as I hit him with it, I knew he'd broke his cheekbone. And wow. there you go. That, that's, that's the severity of that punch that he received. And I think Mark Tibbs did an excellent job of pulling him out of the fight because at the end of the day, the fighter's health is, is what matters. And 
what's caused a, a big a big stir up on social media and all the, the flack that Billy Joe's taking is because of comments he made about Daniel Dubois previously. He called Daniel Dubois a quitter. He was one of them that we were talking about after the Dubois-Joyce fight, where it's like you can't sit there and say that about somebody until you've been in that situation yourself. And, you know, Billy Joe didn't say anything about it in the aftermath. He's just basically come out now and said that, you know, I've got three fractures in my cheekbone. I've got a fracture in my orbital bone. Uh, I will be back. So it's a pretty horrific injury. And I honestly question if he does come back out, how good is he going to be? I mean, I remember Kel Brook losing to Golovkin, his orbital bone going, and then him just really never being the same again after that fight. And a lot of people think that that fight ruined him. And Billy Joe, this was his legacy defining performance. I think he did really well. I just think he was beaten by a far superior man on the night. I think you're right. Um, so first first point is uh, the one thing I would I would have to say is when scoring these fights is uh, the punch stats which do drive me nuts. So I've mentioned it before, but just a question to you: how, how do you how do you determine what a power punch is and what just a normal punch is? And is a power punch worth more points than if someone's popping off a jab? That, that's where I get a bit confused. Before we move on to Daniel Dubois, the, the, the stuff that was said there and and everywhere else, but just just reading some comments and, and seeing other people and how they judge a fight. So if someone's throwing jabs and they want to move and they're throwing more shots, if you're getting through, quite most of them meet in the gloves. And if someone throws what someone considers to be a power punch and lands, is that more? Does that sway your opinion on how a round should be scored? It's it's again it's dependent upon how you how you vision what a power punch does to a to a fighter. How effective is a jab? You know, it stops a fighter in the tracks if you throw enough of them at a fighter. But a power punch to me is is more effective because I consider a power punch to be a punch that really knocks a fighter back. It doesn't essentially wobble them or stagger them as such, but you see the effect it has on them in the sense that they back off. Whereas when you receive a jab, a lot of the times, you know, unless you've ever received a jab, you won't really know. When you do receive a jab, essentially you sort of you get a little bit of a sting and then you carry on going forward. Whereas a power punch, you sort of take a step back and you regroup, you know, and make sure that you don't get hit by that same shot again. And that, that's the whole point of it. So in terms of scoring around, it, it's difficult because you could have a combination of some really good jabs that set up a power punch and then you kind of score it based off the amount that's that's been landed. I always thought it's about, you know, not getting hit. The art of the sport is is hitting and not getting hit. So if you land more shots in a round, regardless of whether you maybe don't look as busy as the other fighter, then surely you should be going off that as opposed to just maybe a fighter looks busy and he lands the loads on the gloves and the arms. Isn't it more significant to be actually scoring the shots that are actually landing as opposed to yeah. maybe a fighter that looks busier? That, that's the way I see it. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know about you. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's exactly how, you know, I judge a fight. I try to break it down. You've got three minutes. I try to do it by a minute and a half because you get them fighters that do nothing for like two and a half minutes and then, and then they pick up the pace in the last 30 seconds just so they can get the judges sway, which is another thing that tends to happen. But, you know, if you are hitting, if you're throwing jabs and you're hitting, it is about how many times you get hit. A power punch to me, does not mean that someone should get, you know, you know I'm not going to score that anymore. So if you're landing a jab and you land a power punch, to me, you still landed. It doesn't matter. 
Um, obviously, the power punches are effective later on in a fight when a fight will be worn down. Um, I suppose the other thing is, is well, one thing I noticed as well is Canelo was pushed back quite a lot of times from Billy Joe. First time I'd ever seen that, where someone had put, pushed Canelo back. Callum Smith didn't do it once against him, whereas Billy Joe did. I was, I was impressed with that. The only other person I've seen do that is, uh, is Golovkin. And, you know, it just proves how hard those two guys are, Golovkin and Canelo, in terms of their power and their resistance to hit, to being hit. It, you know, their heads are just solid. Uh, they've got granite chins and far superior punching power for anyone in their weight divisions. It's incredible. It really is. They are the superstars of boxing. And I suppose the only other one I can think of is Akananue, who can do that. Um, so, yeah, those, those three in particular, just, they're just, just power, powerhouses. And Canelo proved that once again. But really impressed with Billy pushing him back. But just going back to what you mentioned earlier with Daniel Dubois, when we did mention Billy Joe, I mean, just to say, look, I did find a quote. People have been putting them all out there. But Billy Joe Saunders, when Daniel Dubois decided to take a knee, he said, if I had two eye sockets that were broken, my jaw was broken, my teeth were out, my nose was smashed, my brain was beaten, I was not stopping until I was knocked out or worse. Now, to, to defend Billy Joe, I would say he didn't actually... He, he, he was pulled out. So would he have continued if his corner said, you know, go back out and get knocked out? So there is an argument for Billy to turn around and say, I can defend those comments because my corner pulled me out. But it wasn't much resistance from him. I think he accepted it. But the one thing I will say is one thing we've always said about Daniel Dubois is his maturity for such a young man. And you know what he wrote? He wrote, this is, this is Daniel Dubois after Billy Joe Saunders' defeat. He said, you fought well, Billy Joe Saunders. Hope your eye heals up quickly and you can come back stronger, a stronger champ. And then he also added, I'm not going to rub it in for Billy. He'll be going through through it now with the eye injury. Maybe he will regret what he said about me. Maybe this might teach him something. It could be a life lesson. And considering there's, what, 10 years difference between those guys, it just makes me love Daniel Dubois even more. What a credit. What a credit to the sport and what a humble young man. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's great that he's, that he's put it out there like that because obviously everybody was sort of coming to uh, coming to Daniel Dubois' defence because of what Billy Joe had said and they were they were using that as their platform to be able to obviously have a go at Billy Joe Saunders. I understand reasons for why people don't like him anyway and I, I, I do understand that, but I'm just looking at it from a pure boxing standpoint and, you know, him as a performer in the ring and I think he put a good performance on and I think the way the fight was going, I, I could see it going the distance before the end of the eighth round. I could see it being quite close. You mentioned the cards earlier. Uh, you said you had Billy Joe up. Uh, I don't agree. I kind of think that Canelo... I wouldn't say it was as wide as what it was. I think it was only, I think there was only two points in it for me between the two. I think it was up 77, 75. I think I had it to Canelo. I just think he, he took a few of the early rounds before Billy started to apply that pressure. And as you say, started to actually make any sort of impact on Canelo. But the thing with Canelo is as soon as he stepped it up when he needed to, and he started setting them traps and he knew he could get to Billy Joe Saunders, that's effectively when the fight was, was coming to an end because... Obviously, he landed that one shot and it changed everything. And they say, I don't they? One shot can change everything in the sport. And, and he did. And that's what happened. And mm -hmm. fair play to Billy Joe. Fair play to Canelo for stepping up and doing what he's done. And now he just proves once again that he is, he is just 
the greatest pound fighter out there at the moment. And, and that's why we keep saying it and we keep banging on about it. That people just don't appreciate how good of a fighter he really is. And he just seems to, whatever challenge gets put in front of him, he seems to be able to master that challenge and, and come out of the other side of it. And I suppose the questions I want to ask now are two questions. First of all, let's talk about Canelo and who does he fight next? And what yeah, fighting. Uh, I mean, the 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 first thing is is Caleb Plant, isn't it? Because uh, he holds that other title now. Um, if if he goes and, and beats Caleb, he, he unifies the, or yeah, he becomes a unified champion. Uh, he unifies all the belts. Um, uh, you know that has got to be the target. Uh, Caleb Plant, as I said, too much that I've seen. He, he, uh, I don't see why anyone wouldn't want to fight Canelo. I think you're going to earn a bundle of cash. So, and I don't think Caleb Plant's the type of guy that would turn it down. I don't think anyone would, to be fair, unless you, unless your team around you just want to just sort of keep holding that title for other reasons. If you want to earn the big money, the, the, the fight's there. Uh, that's got to be the fight for, for Canelo next. He has, he has, I'm not saying it's, it's not going to be a soft the soft touch at all. Caleb Plant is a fighter that we we put up there as the best super middleweight around. We put him up there with Billy Joe, Callum Smith. He's alongside those guys. Not necessarily, he, he doesn't get the respect that we believe. I think we, we're both quite, we're fans of the guy. He's got a great background story and everything in it. He's got the ability to, to, to you know, to, to put Canelo under some trouble potentially, but let's face it, Canelo is head and shoulders above anybody in that division. There's nobody that's really going to beat Canelo. No matter how good, if you had Caleb Plant, you had Billy Joe Saunders and you had Callum Smith, the three of them could beat each other. It would be quite close. When you put Canelo in there, he's just just too strong. He's, He's too good. He will just, as you said about earlier with Billy Joe, he just set those traps. He'd do the same with Caleb Plant. And eventually I think he'll get him out of there or win on a point decision. But I think that's, that's, that's gotta be the next goal. And then after that, he likes, he he tends to like having a, a fight in between. So you might get a little fight against some random guy first, but is he, I think the only way Canelo's going to get beaten, like anyone making their way through the divisions, is the weight class. Eventually, the weight class will beat Canelo. And whether it be uh, Bivol, Bivol didn't have a great performance against Craig Richards. Craig Richards put in a valiant performance. But Bivol against uh, Canelo at light heavyweight is, is definitely a strong possibility. Bivol's not a massive light heavyweight. He can actually fight super middleweight. He's even turned around and said, I'll fight him a super middleweight. So there's another option if you wanted to go down that route as well. So, look, it, the only thing, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you had uh, Canelo fight at cruiserweight the way he's going at the minute, to be honest with you. Well, there's a couple of points I wait to make before, um, you know, we, we move on and talk about Billy Joe and the aftermath for him. Um, two things I wanted to really point out is that Obviously, Canelo, first and foremost, has fought, what, three times in 70 days now. That is amazing, to be honest with you. He's fought Callum Smith, Avery Yielder him, and now, obviously, he's beat Billy Joe Saunders. For a champion, for his status to be fighting that often at this stage of his career, I'll give him a clap for that. Yeah. I really have, because Absolutely. I don't see many yeah, champions. I'm with you. 
you don't see many champions doing that in this day and age. He's a, he's a true fighting champion. He really is. And it, it probably sounds like we're really up his backside, but it's not that. I just actually really appreciate when a fighter can do as much as he can and he can be as active as he can. And let's be honest, two out of them three fights have been legitimate challenges. Callum Smith, Billy mm-hmm. John Saunders, the Avrim Yildirim one wasn't so much because we've seen how Eubank Jr. destroyed him a couple of years ago. So I wasn't really expecting anything other than a Canelo win. But with Smith, it was like, can Smith do something here? He's got the height and the reach. With Billy Joe, he's got the technical ability and the ring craftsmanship. And yet Canelo's come through all of them tests and he marches on yet again. So that's the first point I wanted to make. And the second point is, you know, regarding this fight, if you remember, like, the activity of Billy Joe wasn't as uh, good as what, obviously, Canelo's has been. And me, like, Canelo's been perfecting this craft for, for eight years solid. The guy never takes a step out of the gym, and he's always in the gym. And yet, Billy Joe Saunders, he's always in and out of the gym, and he can't really do something like that, beat a Canelo, in just a short matter of eight weeks training, whereas Canelo is a guy that lives in the gym, and he's never out of it. He's always trying to learn. And for me, that, that's also a, a big point to, to make here is that Canelo was never out of the gym. Billy Joe was in and out of the gym. He's in it. He didn't help him as well. So how can you expect to beat a pound-for-pound fighter with only eight weeks' notice when a guy like Canelo is in their gym, like, what, seven, eight years solid? I just don't think you can expect a whole deal from it. I think Billy Joe, based on all that information... I think he put on a really good performance and credit to him. But the big question is now is how does it affect him going forward, these injuries? How will they affect his career going forward? And if he should come back and he doesn't retire after this because of them injuries, you know, who does he fight next? And for me, I'll give my opinion, Chris Eubank Jr. laughing at him on social media. That, for me, a rematch between them two, uh, it makes money over here. It makes sense as well. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean that's that's if he's able to overcome the injury and he's able to um, not quit, not have to retire. Hopefully that doesn't happen. You don't want that, that to happen to any sportsman in any sport. I'm hoping he will. He's, I mean, he's 31. He's still quite young, so the chances are give himself what six, seven months, nine months. I don't know. Maybe possibly even another year. And then uh, Eubank Jr., especially if he keeps himself busy. The rematch is there. The first fight was a good fight. Billy Joe took that first half. Or, yeah, and, and he sort of buckled under the pressure, didn't he, really, from Eubank. Eubank effectively came back later on in that second and had a good old surge, but it wasn't enough in the end. It's a fight I'd like to see. It's going to be good for publicity. It'd be a fight that's going to sell quite easily. They're, they're both outspoken. they would be quite fun in all the build-up and in the actual fight. I think there's no other fight, really, for Billy. Unless, unless Callum Smith sticks about at, at super middle, but I'm, I'm guessing Callum's probably going to want to move up to light heavyweight. So, yeah, there's not really much else out there for Billy Joe. Um, just hope that he can recover. And hopefully, as uh, Daniel Dubois said, hopefully he's changed his ways a little bit in his opinion on, on what Daniel went through when he had, had his injury and he decided himself he had to take the knee that night. And I think... We back Daniel all the time. Sean, we really did back Daniel when he did that. We never give him any bad publicity. We was we were slating anyone else that did. And I'm not saying anyone came back at us or anything, but I think people's tune has started to change since then. And, and uh, it, you know, I think that's another lesson learned with Billy. You know, you can't be slagging people off 
while you're an active fighter saying, I wouldn't quit and I wouldn't do that until you actually are in that situation. And hopefully other fighters will learn from, from Billy and from Daniel. No, I agree. I wholeheartedly agree on that. And I think maybe it'll humble him a little bit. I hope it does. I do, I do hope it humbles him Same. a little bit. He comes back and he realises that, you know, you can't really go around saying stuff like that because these things can come back to haunt you. And it certainly has come back to haunt him in, in, in a different way here. And uh, just a funny, quick funny one as well about social media. I don't know if you've seen it, Johnson. I know you're not you're not as active on social media, but the the Ring magazine actually tweeted out about Billy Billy Joe. I think it was Billy Joe, no heart Saunders, <laughs> and uh, it was hilarious because that wasn't supposed to come from the Ring's Twitter account, and uh, loads of people jumped on the back of it. And apparently, it turned out there was someone that was helping them with their social media, helping them. With social media and he tweeted <laughs> and there's an investigation into it and he came out and said basically we're really sorry we don't stay say stuff like that well that was quite hilarious to see as well and uh, obviously <laughs> people was all over the back of that the bible of boxing tweeting about certain fighters having no heart and it kind of felt like a lot of people uh, a lot of obviously former professionals or current professionals are really slating him as well and he it was a little bit of a witch hunt, but then a lot of people say it's a justified witch hunt because of the way he was with other fighters. So it's, it is swings and roundabouts. The cliche saying it is swings and roundabouts. These things happen. What goes around does come around, and I hope it does humble him as a person and as a fighter. And, you know, I hope other fighters take note of this. You know, the people that maybe have said stuff before, I hope they take note of this scenario and then they, you know, realize that they can't really go and stuff like that. So, yeah, that was that was it. That was the main fight. It was uh, it was good to watch. I enjoyed it. it. Did it live up to expectation? I think so. I think it gave me what I was looking for out of it. So I was quite happy with that. But obviously, there is other fights on the undercard, which I just want to briefly run through before I talk about the fight on the Friday night involving another British fighter. So uh, Kieran Conway came up short, split decision loss to Sizoko on the undercard of that fight, which was... Uh, quite an interesting fight to watch as well. There was another couple of fighters I wanted to mention. One in particular that we had on our Wants to Watch show. Uh, Mark Castro, he got another victory. He goes 3-0 and now. And he looks like a guy who could be another future star. Which is why I got him on the Wants to Watch. I was really happy to, to acquire him for, for one of them episodes. Because he really does look like a future star. And we keep putting him on the Canelo undercards. And I honestly envisage him to be a headliner in the next 18 months to two years. Another fighter, Kayshawn Davis, got another victory on there. He goes 3-0 now. So all these great prospects on the undercard. It's really good to see some of these. And it's great, obviously, to be able to watch him, of course, through, through his own app. So that was Billy Joe Saunders and Canelo. But on Friday night, there was a fight that went under the radar as Liam Smith went over to Russia uh, to challenge for the Intercontinental WBO title. Again, a bullshit title. But... Man, that was a great fight. That was a really, really good fight. And a lot of people felt Liam Smith came up short in that fight. It felt like he was uh, he was hard done by home advantage. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great fight. I, I fully immersed myself in it. And I thought Liam Smith put on a good performance. But I suppose going to you, Johnson, the question is, was it, was it as much of a robbery as what people are saying? No. <laughs> to put it bluntly, I think um, I was worried about it. I went, we, we do our little prediction league show, so I stuck in there. I went for Liam. Um, not many did. I think with it being in Russia, 
going to side with the fight. A bit like we've mentioned with Canelo, is that he goes in a few a few rounds up. I think you find that in Germany and Russia. But now in Britain as well, it is flipped over here now where we've had our fighters having a slight advantage. But it was a good fight. Decent performance from Liam and Kurbanov. Kurbanov? Kurbanov? Yeah. yeah. It, I thought he fought really well. Uh, you know, I watched a little bit of him before and I quite, he starts sort of to the side and he sort of flicks out that jab um, and then looks for the right hand. I quite liked the way he performed on the night. I was impressed with him. Looking at his... CV before the fight, there wasn't really any big names in there. And Liam is he, he, he's a workhorse, Liam Smith. He will go in there and he will keep going. The only one that's ever really put an end to him was obviously Canelo uh, a few years ago with them body shots. But Kubanov, I thought he'd done really well. I thought he, he, I, I was impressed with him. I felt Liam just edged it, but I wouldn't have been upset. I wasn't upset that he lost it. Obviously, Liam probably was. I think if you flip reversal it, the fight was that close. If you, if it was over here, Smith would have probably had it by a couple of points and people would have been saying Smith didn't deserve it. It was a close fight. Maybe they should do it again in a neutral arena or something. But look, Kerbin, obviously, he's, he's one to look out for. He's not a bad fighter. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to be a world beater. Could he be a world champion, potentially? But Liam... Yeah, it's back to drawing ball for him, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't think it was a robbery, though. I don't know. What would you rate it, Sean? Nah, not a robbery. Absolutely not a robbery. No. Nah. Quite easily scored either way. I think you look right. at the fight and you look at, I think, the early rounds were taken by Kabanov. And then I think, obviously, Liam Smith started to come on a bit stronger. But I think what you've got to remember, and we go back to the conversation we was having earlier about how you judge a fight. And obviously, do you look for for clean punches being landed? And I think Liam Smith was, was taking a lot to to come in on the inside and land his shots. And I think he was taking quite a few on the way in. And I think that was my sort of issue with people saying it was a robbery and Smith should have won it. You've got to look at, you know, Kabanov was actually landing, you know, quite a few jabs and right hands as Smith was trying to make his way in. And as Smith gets in, he lands a few shots uh, quite cleanly as well. But the, 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 the volume of the punches for me came more from, Cabana than it did for Liam Smith until the latter round. The latter round is where Smith started to sort of try to pile on the pressure, but it looked like he was hurt quite a few times. So, I mean, you look at the the, the fact that you're in their country, you look at the judges that are there looking at this fight, you know, a home crowd behind them, possibly influencing every time a, a shot lands, you know, they're cheering it on. Even if a shot only lands on the gloves, they're cheering it on. What are these judges looking at? Are they looking at the guy who's throwing more shots, uh, even if he doesn't always land a shot. I, it goes back to that conversation about how you judge it. I personally want it on how many shots have been landed on the fighter, but if you've got all these other things going against you, you can't really argue uh, a robbery, because like you said, if that was that was in Liverpool, that was at the Echo Arena in Liverpool, and it would have been Smith on the other end of the people would have been got a great win. Would they, would they stay in Cabana? I've got absolutely robbed I don't think anyone would have even said that so again I think it's how how you perceive that fight and for me Liam Smith just didn't do enough early on to get the victory and he came on a little bit too late in the fight and that's why he lost the fight for me I don't think it was a case of home advantage or a biased judging I actually think it was a, a a well-scored fight if I'm being totally honest it was one of the more well-scored fights quite recently and I think he think Cabana got his just desserts and like you said you know he's a he's a contender now in in that division he's a contender in the uh super light um super welterweight division because 
But for him now, he's got the opportunity to move on to fight some of these guys at the top level. He's put himself in the position with that, that bullshit title. It puts him in the rankings where he needs to be to, to potentially challenge the, the champions of the division. So for him, that's great. For Liam Smith, I honestly don't know like what happens to him. Like, does, he, does he ever get another shot up at world level now? I don't think he's ever going to get the, the likes of Jaime Wunguiers or Canelo's again. Uh, I think... If we're lucky for Liam Smith, we might see him with another domestic super welterweight who's on the cusp maybe of moving on in a bit of a passing of the guard fight. I think that maybe that's the best he's going to get. I honestly can't see him being in a world title fight again. And if he ever does get in a world title fight, it'll only be because the champion's using him as a voluntary. And, and, and that'll be it for me. I don't think he gets to that. He gets to that level again. Personally, I think he sort of, he stays down now sort of, Mid, mid European level, and, and maybe some of the domestic fighters in the super welterweight division challenge him for Ted Cheeseman's, the Anthony Fowlers. I mean, Anthony Fowler versus Liam Smith in the super welterweight division in Liverpool when people are allowed back in fully, that'll, that'll sell a shitload of money. You know, it'll sell a yeah. shitload of tickets, it'll make a shitload of money, and they'll definitely be able to maybe even stick it on pay per view because it'll be, it'll have the beef behind it, of course it will. It'll have the, the you know, the, the sibling rivalry type thing going on, and, and there'll, be, there'll be loads of stuff to even sell that fight. So that's kind of where I see Liam, Liam Smith's career going from now. Uh, but no, not a robbery, definitely not. Uh, and that, that was, that was the boxing from this weekend, Johnston. That was, uh, that was everything we covered, but there was one, there was one thing I wanted to discuss with you as we come towards the end of this episode now. And I don't normally like to give this a lot of airtime, but <laughs> Logan Paul, Floyd Mayweather, what do you think about that circus? <laughs> uh, the, the, the most I've seen of it was uh, Logan Paul uh, nicking Mayweather's hat. Well, that was his brother, wasn't uh, it? Paul who nicked the hat. I was at his brother. See, that's what I'm... There you go, sir. All I see is one of them, Nicky's out, and then they were like chasing him around and hustled him back to get the hat back. Uh, oh, look, it, I, I, I don't know, mate. It, it, I suppose the only, if you're going if, to, if there's anything that's good that's going to come from it, I'm hoping we get a new set of fans that will come and actually watch the sport and not watch the people that are, are playing this massive. Just it's, it's like wrestling, isn't it? It is a wrestling thing. But Mayweather, any, anywhere there's there's a few a good hundred thousand dollars, or I say hundred thousand, hundred million dollars are involved, then uh, you're going to see Floyd Mayweather. It, it's the worst. That was that, that was what I for me uh, that from when he become money Mayweather and started chasing the money, I lost a lot of interest in in Floyd. Uh, I'm not. I'm not surprised there's going to be a circus around it. Are they actually going to fight it? I don't know. All I know is I've seen him nick the hat, and uh, if they did fight, what weight would it be? I don't even know. It's a, well, it's an exhibition. Logan Paul probably. I think he's about right. like, super middleweight, maybe, maybe even like heavyweight. I don't. Okay. And this is this is as much as my knowledge extends to uh, to these two brothers. Uh, I think Logan Paul <laughs> like super middleweight, like heavyweight. He might even be. He might even be cruiserweight. I don't even know. Uh, but I know it's an exhibition. I know it's happening. And I think it's June, June the 6th. And it's just another way of like, you know, these two guys are cashing in. At the end of the day, I said this uh, on, a, on another podcast that I was on yesterday. And I was talking about the fact that, if anything, the only credit you can give to do these two individuals is the fact that they're very shrewd businessmen. It's because they know that these two going in the ring, creating a bit of hype and circus around it. He's going to put the bums on the seats. It's going to get the pay-per-view buys. And both of them are going to be walking away 
laughing to the bank and probably shaking each other's hands and giving each other big hugs uh, in, in the dressing room after the fight and probably like that with the money to each other because, you know, they've, they've duped everybody, really. They've gone, yeah, look at all these fools that are watching us and we're getting all this money for it. And that's why it doesn't interest me in the slightest because I know it is just a cash grab and that's all it is. So a, a lot of true boxing fans won't watch it. Uh, for, for people bringing it over to the sport, bringing new faces, new people that might want to go to a boxing gym, in that respect, if it does achieve that then that's not a completely bad thing but for the most part of it, it it's just i don't i don't like it i don't envisage it to be the best thing for the sport but then there's a lot of pros and a lot of people in the media side of the sport that actually do believe it might bring new faces new attractions to the sport and keep the sport alive in that respect so you know you've got to you've got to kind of look at it from different different angles really as to how it's going to on the flip side of it as well though so on the flip side of it as well, show is the amount of money they're making. I mean, you got this guy that this this guy that's earning an absolute fortune. And what is it? Was it his second or third professional fight? And we've got fighters that are struggling to make ends meet when they're uh, fighting for inter- intercontinental titles. It's crazy. It just shows you that the power of social media at the minute, doesn't it? It just shows you if you're an influencer, then no matter what you do, if you've got the backing behind you, you're going to earn a load of money whatever field you step into. So even if it was onto a football, you know, game football-wise or wherever, UFC, you're going to get that that huge following with you and they, they want to watch you. So I suppose the one thing of note is other boxers out there, you know, to try and obviously maybe look at trying to um, expose themselves more on social media, using it in a positive way for them to get more exposure and then... Um, then they can sell more tickets, I suppose, earn more money from it. But then the other side of it is how much of it, as if you're an actual fighter and you want to box, your time is consumed with making sure you train hard, you eat the right things, you know, you're away from your family. The last thing you're going to want to be doing is sitting around acting like a dickhead on uh, social media, but people lap it up, don't they? This is it. So I don't know whether we're going to eventually, I think we're going to end up seeing these crossover fighters where you have these young boys that are influencers, but also they're good boxers as well. And they can do the, do both. And that's probably the way of fighters selling tickets at the minute. So yeah, it's, I mean, you can't ignore it because of the money they're earning. No, you can't, you really can. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how things does do progress in terms of the sport over the next 10 years. I mean, we could be talking about this in 10 years and it could be the thing that helps keep the sport alive. We just don't know. But, yeah. guys, I think that's it. I think that's it for this one, Johnston, for our, our re- yeah. reaction show to Canelo and Saunders. And, again, guys, it's always a pleasure to come to you. We've got a couple of interviews coming up in the not-too-distant future. And by the end of the month, we're looking to get our career profile of Jack Johnson out there for you all. So, please do bear with us. Obviously, we've had a few things going on in the background, as you are well aware of. So, thanks for sticking with us. The patrons, in particular, you guys, you get benefits from from being a patron. So, we're going to get a couple of early access episodes out to you in the next couple of weeks. And that Johnson episode will be coming out at the end of the month. And then we'll get back on on the track with, obviously, Legendary Nights uh, and start preparing for Dark Side of Boxing Season 2. Because, of course, you'll have seen a few interviews with us in recently. So, you know, we're really excited about all that as well. So you know where to find us at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter and on Facebook, the BTR Boxing Podcast Network. And of course, on Instagram as well. And please make sure you subscribe. Please make sure you leave a review. 
We really appreciate all the recent reviews. We really do appreciate you giving us feedback about us butchering names and places because it is absolutely hilarious to read and we will we'll try our best to get the uh, the right names and the right places. But guys, as always, thank you so much, Johnson. Thank you again, as always. And we'll see you fight fans next time. Podcast Network. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over a hundred social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.